Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, hey there. Thanks for joining us on AOA, Agriculture of America. Always great to have you join us for another conversation, talking agriculture in rural America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Well, coming up on today's program, markets are closed for the President's Day holiday on Monday. But we're going to go back to the agmarket.net conference earlier in the month in Nashville, Tennessee, where I talked with the president of John Stewart and Associates, Brian Burke. Got some thoughts from him on the markets, some of his perspective from the commercial side of things. So we're going to listen to that interview coming up here on today's AOA. Also, we're going to head back to a conversation that we heard last week on the show with Peter Zion, Zion on geopolitics. I talked with him earlier in the month at the Northern Quartet Soy Expo in Fargo. It was a very eye-opening conversation, so we're going to have that for you here on today's show. And then at the end of the program, we're going to wrap it up, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the census of agriculture. Brian Combs with USDA joined me for a recent conversation. We're going to get some thoughts from him on that 2022 census of agriculture that is coming up here at the end of today's program first up though kicking things off let's take a look at some of the news headlines that are out there across the country as we start our show today of course we continue to watch what's going on with the farm bill house ag leaders despite their continued warring hinted at a recent hearing that there may still be a way to achieve an 11th hour breakthrough on the farm bill It was a barely noticeable hint amid all the verbal arrows he fired that maybe top ag Democrat David Scott was suggesting a way forward for the farm bill without GOP proposed cuts to snap a top Democratic priority. Because the economy has improved, benefits and need for the program has decreased. The CBO is now expecting snap to cost $67 billion less over the next decade than originally expected. A savings that if the Congressional Budget Office is correct and if farm bill negotiators could agree to use some of that for farm supports, that could pave a way toward ending a year-long stalemate. House Ag Chair Glenn G.T. Thompson of Pennsylvania perhaps also hinted a ways forward and may have even held out an olive branch to the other side. Considerable opportunities exist within our jurisdiction to not only fund the safety net, but fund a substantial number of shared bipartisan priorities. And I continue to implore my Democratic colleagues to think in earnest about these priorities, priorities that can be funded without cutting SNAP, a SNAP benefit or eliminating the important conservation programs that we've all come to appreciate. Thompson complained that Washington is filled with armchair pundits who say a new farm bill is impossible, that politics will prevail over good policy, and that dysfunction has consumed us. But Thompson insisted every negative comment only intensifies his commitment to the American farmer to get a farm bill done. Well, they've been predicting it for a few years now, but still no recession. That doesn't mean things have been easy for ag producers over that time. Bank strategist Steve Nicholson says the key now is that there are still jobs available. And so until we see, in my mind, until we see a pullback in jobs created or the opportunities for jobs, it's going to be very hard to go down a path of, of, of a recession. The Fed may have engineered the, the classic soft landing. That's, I think, yet to be seen. But 
it's remarkable how resilient the U.S. economy's been. The Fed, Nicholson says, will likely continue to play it down. So I think they're going to be reluctant because of both political pressure to move rates up to say that they put their thumb on the scale, but at the same time, take them down too much, put their thumb on the scale. I think they're going to have try to have a fairly quiet year because we all know that politicians will criticize them or praise them depending on what actions they take and how that fits into their political narrative. When it comes to the farm bill, Nicholson says our economic worries and the fact this is an election year just heap on the challenges. Well, I hope they don't put it off from there. Let's say that. You know, the, the challenges, you've got two challenges there. One, you have a Congress that's not focused on anything and a Congress that's not functioning very well. You know, they've got budget deadlines coming up and USDA is on that first list of agencies that would get shut down. So that's not a good thing. And, oh yeah, it's an election year for them. And I think it's... It's a coin toss that we could get it. But Nicholson says there are some incentives. Keep in mind in the politics of it, Senator Stabenow from Michigan is retiring. She is the chairman of the Senate Ag Committee, and she would love to be able to send one of her legacies out the doors to get the farm bill over the line. So there are political pressures on both sides of that issue. But he adds it needs to happen soon. Yeah, that would be my concern, too. If I'll be a little more optimistic the first half of the year. I think it's going to be really difficult to get it done, certainly the second half of the year. And once again, that's comments with Steve Nicholson from Bank. Well, USDA Chief Economist Seth Meyer talked about the state of the ag economy and the headwinds it faces in 2024. During his speech at the 100th Annual Ag Outlook meeting, he said there are challenges ahead. We've seen a lot of growth in trade for agricultural commodities, for bulk agricultural commodities. Maybe the challenge is the fact that other countries have also stepped up and are producing more. So our challenge is our export share has declined. We've got more competition than the global market, but we need that trade to continue to grow. One of U.S. agriculture's biggest challenges comes from South America. One of the examples here is that we have seen tremendous growth in soybean production in South America. Tremendous growth. When you think about Brazil, Paraguay, Argentina, tremendous growth in production. And we can handle that production at a global level and support prices when Chinese demand was growing at more than 4%, up to 8% a year. So we had China in the market pulling large volumes of soybeans off the market. That demand has slowed. Who's going to pick up that demand as we get an additional 6 million metric tons a year from Brazil, 2 million metric tons from Argentina? Land is expanding. They're going to continue to grow. We have a challenge here in terms of how are we going to meet export demand and what are we going to do internally for demand? When it comes to soybeans, increasing domestic use can counter some of the lower international demand. Domestic crush has been quite strong, fueled largely by our biofuel demand. So if you have challenges in the export market, it is good to have domestic demand. One of the places that we've had good domestic demand is in the biofuel market. But one of the challenges is we are drawing imported feedstocks into our biofuel production from around the world and actually imports as a total share of feedstocks is growing over time. And it is canola and used cooking oil. And so this is a very policy-driven market. If we want to have a domestic use for our crops, this is one of the options that is at least in front of us. And the competition isn't just soybeans, especially in China. When you go forward, you see them starting to take a large amount of U.S. corn. You can see them also starting to pick up Ukrainian corn, which is more at risk. And now you see the big change in China has been the elimination of phytosanitary restrictions on Brazilian corn. And now Brazilian corn flowing very easily into China, very price competitive. And again, we're facing additional competition for what is a pretty big market and growing year over year into China of more than 20 million metric tons. 
And once again, that is USDA Chief Economist Seth Meyer. Also, U.S. cotton producers intend to plant 9.8 million cotton acres this spring, down 3.7% from 2023, according to the National Cotton Council's 43rd Annual Early Season Planting Attention Survey released during their annual meeting. Upland cotton intentions, 9.6 million acres. That's down 4.3% from 2023, while extra long staple ELS intentions of 202,000 acres represent a 37.7% increase. Using 10-year average abandonment rates along with a few state-level adjustments to account for current moisture conditions, Cotton Belt Harvested Area totals 8.1 million acres for 2024 with a U.S. abandonment rate of 17.9%. All right, coming up next here on AOA, we're going to head back to the agmarket.net conference I was at a few weeks ago in Nashville and listen to a conversation with Brian Burke, president of John Stewart Associates. That's next here on AOA. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of the Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card. From grain and livestock market analysis to policy updates affecting agriculture, the latest agricultural weather, ag news headlines, and much more, we have you covered as your trusted voice in agriculture. Get up to the minute information with the American Ag Network on air, online, and on demand. Find us on your favorite social media platforms and follow the American Ag Today podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. We are the American Ag Network. Times of transition, whether from a sad event or a joyful one, can leave us feeling adrift. Social connections are an important part of a healthy life. Being isolated and lonely can be harmful to your health. It can lead to high blood pressure, a greater risk of heart disease, and early onset dementia. So it's important to build and maintain connections to people, not just in your family, but others whose relationships bring meaning to your life. Trying a new hobby, volunteering, exercising, even using your phone or other device to stay in touch with others all these can be great ways to keep up your social connections and your physical and mental well-being. Visit connecttoeffect.org to see if you're at risk of social isolation and find ways to get connected. Presented by AARP Foundation with support from United Healthcare. 
Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. Well, the market's closed for President's Day holiday on Monday, but we're still going to talk a little bit broad picture here, broad spectrum about what has been happening in the markets and some of the overall bearishness that we've seen in the grains here the last few months. I had a conversation a few weeks ago during the agmarket.net conference with Brian Burke, the president of John Stewart and Associates. He works a little bit more on the commercial side, but he's got some great thoughts to share. Let's listen in to that interview right now on AOA. Let's talk about these grain markets a little bit as a whole. And I know from your perspective, you work a lot on the end user side, so we can get into that discussion as well. But I guess just to start, Brian, I feel like the the overwhelming sentiment in these markets has been bearish for the last couple of months. It feels like all that weight has kind of gone over to one side of the boat, so to speak here. Is that the general sense you kind of have of this grain and oil seed trade right now is that it's just overwhelmingly bearish? Yeah, I it, the the positions in the marketplace today are very clear. I mean, this isn't even really an opinion question. You can look at the speculative community on the Chicago Board of Trade and for several weeks now in January, we've had some of the largest short positions uh, by managed money in corn and soybeans that we've had any time in more than 20 years. So the, the bearish bets of that community are generally one of the better indicators of market sentiment. There are other baskets of, of, of traders out there, but the ones who move a significant amount of positions, money, and dollars, both from the long or the short side, is managed money, and they are clearly bearish. And, and thinking about the managed money, I've had a few people ask this question on on Twitter here lately. You know, uh, someone even made the joke, "I'd love to hear someone talk to the you know quote unquote managed money crowd." I mean, are, are we talking? largely like Wall Street type investors that are throwing money into the commodities. Can, can you define a little bit more what that managed money crowd is for some folks? Sure. I mean, from a managed money standpoint, yes, it is a very broad term. And when you think about the large banks, uh, you know, again, we'll, we'll name several to not pick on anybody, but sure. the JP Morgans, the Morgan Stanleys, the Goldman Sachs, all of those types of banks have money managers that trade various asset classes. Mm-hmm. The ones you see on, on CNBC and, and, and Fox Business or whatever every day, most of those are trading that equity b- asset class. Mm-hmm. We're talking about those that trade pools of money in the agricultural asset class. So it's, it's that group of people. Now, they, they generally tend to look at the market more broadly. Um, they're not going to get too deep into the weeds on on yield or this or that in any mm-hmm. one given country at any one given time, they're looking at how interest rates affect commodities. They're looking at how the value of the dollar affects general ag commodity exports out of the U.S. They're looking more holistically at global balances. They're looking at, they're looking at China and, and, and the economic downdraft that China has had and what and knowing through a lot of research just how detrimental that is to agricultural consumption around the world when you take the largest buyer in the world and and, and give it a bit of a hangover, which is what it has. Yeah, and China's been such a big topic in these markets here as of late, and I think the demand from China or lack thereof, China's been shifting a lot to South America, of course. So let's let's talk a little bit on that end user side. What are some of the things you are seeing here in, in the U.S. right now and in terms of 
everything we're seeing with China it's in their shift to South America. I mean, talk about some of those changing dynamics that, that end users are watching a little bit closely. Well, end users are, are, are adjusting to a, a new structure that's in the marketplace. End users have been in an inverted cash environment for three years. And what I mean by that is the highest price on, on the board is the spot price. Mm-hmm. And when we're in a supply deficit or demand-driven market, one or two drivers there are both uh, leaning towards an inverted market. The, the end users are always worried about how do I extend my ownership and how do I gain more ownership because, and avoid having to pay those spot premiums. And we have completely flipped that structure for an end user today. Right now, the cheapest price on the board is the nearby price. The cheapest they're going to pay for corn is in the nearby versus going out and saying buying June, July corn today. Mm-hmm. So what we advise end users in markets like this is you don't want to have a lot of ownership. You want to have whatever is logistically feasible, maybe 30 days, maybe 45 days, but you certainly don't want six months of ownership. And that's a, a, a complete 180 of the market that we've been in um, that was much more inverted and, and, and demand-driven or and or just the supply deficits were there that you worried about making sure you, you, you had access to it by mm-hmm. the time we got to the end of the crop year. It's a complete 180. Yeah. So how does that affect then downstream to, you know, cash basis, farmers, and, and you know, they're holding a lot of grain on farms still. They haven't sold a lot because they're not loving the price. So I have to think it's kind of that trickle-down effect, so to speak, right? Exactly, yep. I mean, right now, farmers are, are the large long in the marketplace. And, and, and let's, let's face it, farmers at some level are always long. It's, mm-hmm. the, you, further you go out in time, you're going to find the fact, you know, he, he's inherently long all the time. But his, his level of length mirrors the lack of ownership by the end user. And, and so those two things are going to be at odds as we go into the spring. What I'm fearful of and how that trickles down, especially to the producer level, is if we take an outsized amount of corn and soybeans, most, mostly corn when I make this statement, if we take an outsized movement after pollination, that's going to be a significantly larger amount of bushels trying to hit the market all at the same time. And that is, a, that is a bearish condition in the market. That's a bearish opinion to have. And I think end users have that opinion, which is why they're not buying June, July corn today. They would mm-hmm. much rather buy it there when it's cheaper, when, when the perception is it will be cheaper. Obviously, we have a lot of competition from Brazil right now. There's sure. been some talk here at the conference that Brazil could add, you know, 50 million acres in the next 10 years, you know, things like that. So, I mean, how much is the competition from South America playing into some of the thoughts here uh, for U.S. end users and more? What do you think about that? Well, uh, I, I think the U.S. has been losing market share in corn and soybeans to South America for quite some time. That's not new. Yeah. Um, this last year, Brazil was the largest exporter of corn, which, which was kind of that proud stat- status that the U.S. had for a long, long time. I think... Domestic consumption is a bit more of a focus of the United States, whether that be with renewable fuels policies and um, the renewable diesel build-out that we're seeing on the soy crush side, certainly 15 years ago when we talked more about the ethanol build-out. So the way the U.S. has has um, grown its agricultural base has been much more driven by domestic consumption policies. And I think South America, the way they're growing their production base and, and, and benefiting on the production expansion is by expanding their export markets. So it's, we're, we're both growing, mm-hmm. but we're both growing for different reasons. 
I prefer the value-added reason, but it does, it does take policy. It does take uh, sometimes a bit more time. Um, but I, I, I do believe the, the, uh, the route of the U.S. going with a larger and larger percentage of our corn, soybeans, and wheat production being turned into value-added products of all sorts in this country is a solid path. Sometimes we just outproduce that path from a timing standpoint. Sure. And thinking of that timing, too, as we talk renewable diesel, sustainable aviation, fuel, the expansion of soy crush here in the U.S., I mean, what's your thought? What's your perspective on, on where that's at right now? I know we just saw that, that sustainable aviation fuel plant come online in Georgia here a few weeks ago. Uh, I mean, realistically, 2025? 2026, even this year? I mean, what are your thoughts with what you're seeing about the expansion on that side of the ledger? If we're just talking about sustainable aviation fuel, that, that expansion is going to take significantly more time to become meaningful. It, okay. it, it is still in a um, research and development phase. It, the cost of production is still very prohibitive of any kind of commercialization without pretty heavy subsidies. Um, and, it, and it's not in that much of a different condition than what ethanol was in in 2006. See, we had that federal policy. There was, there was um, uh, blender credits and things like that that we had for several years promoting the expansion of ethanol and so forth. And I do think that we can see similar policies down the road on sustainable aviation fuel because it probably needs it. As we're figuring out the best feedstock, the, the, the best conversions, the best technology, that all needs investment in. And we've started that investment, but it is certainly three to five plus years away from commercialization. All right, Brian, before we run out of time, uh, give us some optimism, maybe a little bit. We've I've kind of steered the conversation pretty bearish on you here, but give us some optimism. What are some things farmers uh, need to think about here ahead in the year 2024? What would you give them? I'd say two things. One, try to avoid the spot market because that's going to be the most punishing market. So get more forward with your marketing plan. And the other thing that I would leave you with is we're not going anywhere in the next two years that we haven't been before. Okay. We have had a 2015 to 2020 era that everyone would agree was not the most fun and profitable period of time. And it was followed by a cycle of of very strong returns. This is a cyclical business. Sometimes those cycles are a couple of years. Sometimes they're three to five. And we will continue to have cycles like that in our business. We just need to prepare um, for, the, for the more lean years. And, and we're probably in those right now for, for at least maybe another crop year or two. But it's a, it's a cyclical market, and it will certainly come around at another point in time. Once again, a recent conversation I have with Brian Burke from John Stewart and Associates. Coming up next, we're going to listen back to our recent conversation on geopolitics and agriculture with Peter Zion. That's next on AOA. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. 
Call for closure protection services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. You're listening to AOA. Let's get a check of the market trade. Jesse Allen here as we take a look at the markets. President's Day Monday means the markets are closed for the holiday. So a three-day holiday weekend could no doubt lend itself to some added volatility once traders come back into the market on Tuesday. We did end a relatively rough week overall last week with some strength in soybeans and soybean meal on the day. Friday with beans 8 to 10 higher, soybean meal up 5 to $6 a ton. Corn market mixed about a penny or two either side of unchanged as corn continues to just churn around its recent contract lows. Wheat trade under moderate pressure as we did set some new contract lows in July wheat contracts, those cheap Russian values, Black Sea values continuing to weigh on the world wheat market and in turn weigh on U.S. prices. Now, overall, these markets continue to just have a very bearish sentiment to them. Funds and managed money continue to hold near record or record short positions in the grain trade. And that grip on these markets doesn't feel like it's going to be let go anytime soon. And it's going to take something probably significant to try and trigger a short covering rally and loosen that bearish grip on these markets. And those will be opportunities for folks to get some more marketing done. For the week last week, March corn was down 12 and a half cents at 416 and a half. March beans down 11 and a quarter cents to settle at 1172 and a quarter. March Chicago wheat down 36 and a quarter cents to close at 560 and a half. March Kansas City wheat down 34 and a quarter cents to settle at 567 and a quarter. And March Minneapolis wheat finished down 20 nine and a quarter cents on the week to close at 655 meantime found some good fundamental strength in the livestock futures on friday with triple digit gains seen in cattle futures uh, led by the feeder cattle trade again markets closed on monday for president's day this is aoa for the american ag network i'm jesse allen reporting being blind doesn't always look how others may think Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Great vision doesn't require great sight. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Make your impact today. Donate now at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. Well, just a few weeks ago, while I was at the Northern Corded Soy Expo in Fargo, I had a very interesting conversation with Peter Zion from Zion on Geopolitics, commentator, author, etc. And I want to listen back to that interview. I thought it was kind of thought-provoking, a little interesting to think about. So let's listen in. Here is that conversation I had with Peter Zion here on AOA. 
Peter, it's good to see you and uh, great to talk with you. Thanks for joining us today. Great to be back in Fargo. Let's talk a uh, broad range of issues, obviously, when it comes to uh, geopolitics around the world and more that are uh, hampering things. And I, 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 that's the best way I could <laughs> put it. How much time do we have? Yeah, we, we have a lot. Uh, between the Middle East, between things in China, et cetera, et cetera. You, you talk a lot about this stuff. I mean, thousand-foot view what are some of the things you're telling folks here at attendance today? What's what's the big thing that we really need to be concerned with here in the short term? We're, we're well past the point of no return when it comes to deglobalization. Uh, population structures around the world have degraded to the point that most countries couldn't recover to where they were 10, 20, 30 years ago, even if um, everyone just sat down and had four kids. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it, we're 50 years on into this process now. There aren't enough young people to regenerate populations in most places, with China by far being at the top of that list. So we're not just looking at the collapse of the Chinese system in the next 10 years now. We're now looking at the dissolution of the, the Han ethnicity by the end of this century. And, you know, it, it's one thing to kind of say that as a breezy statement, and then another one to have that conversation with folks in the agriculture sector who see China as their ticket for any number of reasons. Well, that, that's going to go to zero, and it's probably going to go to zero in the next five to six years. So we need to start thinking about not just different markets, but a fundamentally different structure uh, for how everything in the sector works. Mm -hmm. um, luckily, there are a number of countries where this is not true. Places in Southeast Asia look great. The Mexicans, of course, are our number one trading partners in any number of, of sectors of which agriculture is only one. Uh, but the bottom line is this globalized reach system that we've become used to sure. requires a population structure that no longer exists. And so this was always going to be the decade when it broke. And we need to look at a more regional approach to how we trade. And that means we need to look at a more regional approach to how we grow. Well, and I, I think about, uh, you mentioned the regional approach. I feel like we've already seen, a, I call it the shuffling of the deck chair, so to speak. We've mm -hmm. already seen some of that happening here in the last 10 years with, with, you know, in case China going to South America more, things like that. But even, you know, the U.S. hasn't had a new trade agreement in 10 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've had several under yeah. Trump that were updated and overall yeah. those were pretty good, but we're not going to have another one in the next decade unless yeah. it's going to be really very modest, if anything. Mm -hmm. But to your point, some of that, those deck chairs have already kind of started to mm -hmm. shuffle to some degree, right? Well, this, to use the example that you brought up with the Chinese going to Brazil, uh, the, the Chinese made the decision about seven years ago that they would never buy another anything from the United States ever again unless they had absolutely no other choice. Mm -hmm. And since they print currency like mad, they are able to generate economic activity in places that normally wouldn't happen. And so as long as you can throw a bottomless supply of investment capital at Brazil, Brazil can produce. Uh, what I'm suggesting is, for a number of reasons, political, geopolitical, demographic, is that that strategy on a global basis isn't going to work very well much longer. And when that goes, it takes Brazil with it. So, we, yes, we've seen a lot of rearrangement, but it's nothing compared to what's <laughs> coming soon. Uh, pretty much, if there is an acre on the planet that has been brought into production since 1945... 
Okay. Uh, these are territories that require huge amounts of industrial level inputs because in the world before 1945, most of agriculture wasn't industrialized. And it's only in the globalized system that these technologies were able to push into these other areas. You're talking here about 60% of the land that's under till. That doesn't work in a post-globalized system. So it's not so much that it's the, the chairs being moved around. It's like the ship itself is going down fast. <laughs> okay. And it, unless you're in one of those zones that either has better land quality from a pre-1945 point of view or uh, has access to the input streams that's necessary to maintain output, you're just going to be out of the game. Now, luckily for the American Midwest, we're in both of those categories. Mm -hmm. So we are probably not going to see any significant challenge to our ability to, ability to produce, uh, which means that most of the competition goes away. But the road from here to there, wow, roller coaster. Definitely, definitely. Well, and you throw on top of it, two wars. We've had the Russian-Ukraine conflict. And then a lot of the... Uh, the tensions rising in the Middle East again. I know that's been a hot topic, and that's disrupted a lot of global shipping, et cetera, et cetera. So I know that's it. You know that throws a monkey wrench into things as well, doesn't it? We have been very fortunate these last two years that the situation with agriculture and shipping in general has not been a lot worse. Russia is one of the major producers of fertilizers of all types. Russia is the number one wheat exporter. Ukraine's the number five wheat exporter. They're fourth and fifth, uh, respectively, for corn and soy. <laughs> and most of this stuff goes through the uh, the Red Sea in one way or another. So the fact that we have all this vulnerability. Uh, and and a shooting war, and we still haven't seen a meaningful disruption to the shipments, that is not a minor miracle. Mm -hmm. And we should not count on this persisting. Uh, we're lucky it hasn't broken already. The break is coming. I know, too. Uh, this is a year where... How many elections do we have around the world? All of them. All of yeah. them. It's like the most in in a in history, I mm -hmm. believe. And so that that in itself, with so many people going to the polls to vote, that in itself could change um, could change policy and things like that nature. I know that's another thing that I think is in front of uh, in front of agriculture, really in front of the world right now. Well. It's going to be different based on where you are, and some of these elections mean nothing, uh, especially in places like Russia. Um, and others are, we know exactly how they're going to turn out. So yeah. like India, for example, Modi's party, the BJP, is just going to be dominant for a third cycle now. Yep. Um, here at home, though, from, a, from an international economic point of view, I don't mean to suggest that there's nothing to talk about for American elections. There's a lot. But from an international economic point of view, Donald Trump and Joe Biden are the two most similar presidents we have ever had. They're starkly populist. They're starkly protectionist. They're starkly anti-Chinese. And it doesn't matter at all which one wins because we're going to get a system that is anti-trade. It's not interested in holding up the ceiling for international trade. Is not interested in globalization. And while there are a number of people in the United States, uh, especially in the manufacturing space, who see this as, as fantastic, Obviously, for ag, where one out of every three calories we produce is exported, that's a bit of a problem. Mm -hmm. Now, over the midterm, as the agricultural production system on a global basis breaks down, this is all going to work out great for the American farmer because most of the competition is going to go away. And the terms will be much, much, much better. Uh, but it really matters the order in which things break down. Sure. So like if Brazil breaks before China, then we have a shortage of everything. If China breaks before Brazil, then we have a glut of everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm afraid that countries are not 
signing up to a schedule for their dissolution. Sure. You're going to have a great keynote here this afternoon, talking to folks and sharing, I'm sure, a lot of these same thoughts uh, with farmers and ranchers in attendance. For folks who are listening in, though, you know, we're on the cusp here of a a brand new year, looking ahead. I mean, especially for farmers and ranchers and those involved in agriculture, what do you really want to reiterate to them and, and drive home to them that they need to keep in mind as they look at the global picture of everything? You need to have a really sharp look and be very brutally honest with yourself about what enables the markets that you care about to function. So I think uh, the best example, and I'm I'm from Iowa here, so I can say this. I'm from Iowa as well. Corn today does not work unless there's a giant global animal fodder market and ethanol. You break down global trade, the animal fodder market goes away because people aren't going to be able to afford animal protein. And there was never a national security and economic interest for ethanol. It's a subsidy program. Mm -hmm. And so if you break down trade, drive up the cost of food to the stratosphere, that program goes away. There's no reason for it to be in existence except for for rural support. So the, the dynamism, the rate of change is going to be so much more for the remainder of this decade than it's been for the last 20 years. And I don't think people in the sector really understand the degree of the shock that's coming. Again, we will all end up in a better place after this is done. But predicting the path uh, is difficult. And that means you need to focus on what everyone got into agriculture for in the first place, and that's to feed people, not to put fuel in cars. Uh, And so you have to look at what programs and what countries you're dependent upon and why so that you can chart your way forward. Peter, very insightful stuff. I know folks can find your commentaries online, YouTube as well. Uh, what's the best way for folks to find you, Peter? Uh, if you go to zion.com or slash newsletter, so Z-E-I-H-A-N.com slash newsletter, that's the fastest way to get everything that I put out. Fantastic. Peter Zion, appreciate a few moments of your time here in Fargo today. Thanks for joining us. We'll have to have a conversation again soon. Absolutely. And once again, a recent conversation I had with Peter Zion from Zion on Geopolitics while I was at the Northern Corded Soy Expo in Fargo. Very interesting conversation, no doubt. Something to think about there and uh, some different perspectives on geopolitics and how it could affect the world and agriculture and more. All right, coming up next before we run out of time here today on the program, USDA last week releasing the 2022 Census of Agriculture. And in that census data, 1.9 million farms and ranches down 7% from the 2017 census. However, did see a bit of an uptick, it looks like, in new and beginning farmers operating 10 or fewer years, as well as young producers under the age of 35. That data out from USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service. We're going to talk a little bit more about that data and go through some of the other data points with Brian Combs from USDA's NAS. He is going to join us here on the way after the break. Back with more on AOA right after this. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? Stop. That dog does not want to be petted. (laughs) Just a little heads up before something bad happens. Move your coffee cup away from your computer. Oh, no, 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 no. So you can have more control. Stop. You're texting your boss by mistake. 
Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Warning, the cap is loose on that catch-up. Ugh. Don't wait. You have the power to change the outcome. Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. <laughs> no, you hold my hand. Here we go. <laughs> Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. I learned patience from my adoptive dad. All he had to say was, Hey, you got this. Just breathe. Hey. <laughs> We're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Might have to start a band. <laughs> I got it. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. <laughs> Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. When news happens in agriculture or when the markets are moving, we've got you covered as your trusted voice in agriculture. The team at the American Ag Network has the knowledge and experience to keep you informed on the issues impacting farmers and ranchers. We've got you covered on air, online, and on demand. Find the American Ag Network on your favorite social media platforms and also follow the American Ag Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We are the American Ag Network. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. 
Get the latest bonus interviews, exclusive content, and more with the American Ag Today podcast. Just search for American Ag Today and give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts. National FFA Week is February 17th through the 24th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Grant Norfleet from Missouri. What better way to show your support of FFA than to get involved in FFA Week? Whether it's in person, on the phone, or via social media, be sure to share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. Well, USDA has released the brand new 2022 Ag Census data, and that has been uh, making headlines throughout agriculture here for the last few days. We want to take a deeper dive into the new release and the numbers and get some perspective from USDA. Joining us now, Brian Combs. He is the chief on the Environmental Economics and Demographics branch of the National Agricultural Statistics Service. And Brian, thanks so much for joining us here on Agriculture of America today. I hope you're doing well. Thanks, Jesse. It's uh, fantastic to be here today. And I look forward to the discussion on the results of the 2022 Census of Ag. Yeah, I was going to say, it really, uh, you know, getting the numbers out, it's always uh, interesting to see the changes, uh, you know, every every five years. And, and looking at this new census data, I know there was some interesting findings. Uh, give us some of the, the top headline findings first here, Brian, just to kind of form our discussion and uh, let, tell folks what you guys found with the new data. Yeah, well, uh, you know, the census is a complete count of the nation's farms and ranches and the people operated. So there's a lot of interesting facts that come from the census. Uh, a few of those, uh, we, we saw 1.9 million uh, farms from the 2022 Census of Agriculture, and that was a decrease of about 6.9% in 2017. Uh, around 142,000 farms were lost over that period. Uh, our land in farms was also down approximately 2.2 percent, uh, 20.1 million acres. And that put the average farm size at 463 acres, which was a 5 percent increase from the previous census. If we look at a few of the other uh, kind of key highlights from this, all classes of farms, if we look at it by land size, had declined except those largest farms in the 5,000 plus acre class. And uh, farms with 50 acres or less decreased about 6%. Uh, and farms with 50 to 500 acres decreased approximately 7%. If we look at the farm producers, uh, there were 3.37 million farm producers, which that was a little smaller decrease. That was only a 0.8% decrease from 2017. Uh, so it's uh, much smaller compared to the number of farms that were, uh, were lost at 6.9%. Well, I know, too, uh, one number that jumped out at me that we could talk about a little bit as well was uh, on the age of farmers, the number of beginning farmers, the number of farmers under age 35. Uh, and also, I, I feel like this has been a trend in agriculture, but the the growing age of many of our farmers and ranchers it may, ticking up there a little bit, it looked like on the census data. Can you talk about that a little bit, Brian? 
Yes, we did see that average age uh, continue to increase. We've seen that trend over uh, a number of uh, census cycles. So typically that goes up about uh, one year per census cycle. That went from 57.5 in 2017 to 58.1 in 2022. So it wasn't quite as much as we've seen in the past, but it was still an increase over the last census cycle. If we look at, uh, you know, you'd mentioned young producers and, and new and beginning farmers. We did see some uh, some trends there that showed those being up. Um, so we had seen a 8.8% of producers are considered young uh, in this 2022 census cycle. And a young producer is probably good to define what that is. So that's anyone that's under the age of 35 as of uh, December 31st of 2022. When we look at those new and beginning farmers, this is an interesting uh, statistic too. So new and beginning farmers, anyone that who's operated any farm uh, for 10 years or less, and uh, over 30% of all producers were considered new or beginning. And uh, 33% of all farms had a new and beginning producer. I think as well, too, another stat that jumped out of me was the uh, number of female producers. Uh, I believe what was a little over 30% of all producers uh, in 2022's census data for you know, the number of female producers out there, Brian, was was that, am I close on that number? Yes, you were actually uh, very close. It's uh, 36% uh, of all producers were, um, were uh, female. Okay. And 58% of, I'm sorry, and now uh, 58% of farms had at least one female producer uh, associated with them. Okay. All right. So uh, interesting, you know, good trends to see there, I would say. Uh, I, I know that a lot of this data, I mean, USDA, you guys go down to the county level and, and maybe you don't, you might, you might not have this in front of you. I'm not sure, but was there any region of the country in particular that saw massive changes or was it all kind of the same across the board, Brian? Yes. I mean, generally speaking, there weren't a lot of uh, major trends that didn't follow what we've been seeing in previous census cycles. So the data was uh, was pretty common with the trends that have been seen uh, over the last few census cycles. Now, uh, that being said, uh, we did put out 6 million distinct data points uh, on the 13th when we released uh, the census data. So there could be some pockets out there that we have yet to discover. And, you know, we really look forward to uh, working with our data users to uh, discover those uh, those new stories from county uh, or, or state level that's uh, a little different from what the major U.S. trends are. Well, Brian, uh, as we kind of just wrap up and, and think about the census data as a whole, uh, what would you say, what was the the biggest thing USDA took away from this data release here? You kind of alluded to it, uh, and so maybe I, I would think you know a lot of the trends stayed relatively the same, or was that maybe the biggest takeaway for you guys, or was there something else that you saw that kind of stood out with the overall data? Yes, I mean, to kind of the major things that we saw were that uh, farm numbers and land and farms have both declined. There continues to be more of the largest farms. Fewer farms accounted for the most uh, agricultural products sold. The average age of farmers and ranchers continues to rise. There's the increase in both young and new and beginning producers. Uh, one thing we hadn't talked about yet, uh, we saw an increase in internet access. And that is a very important thing as well in terms of rural America. I know connectivity has uh, definitely been a, a talking point and an issue for many folks. So good to see an increase in internet access. Brian, before we let you go here today, appreciate you being on with us and going through some of the data. Any other data points that 
we've uh, missed that we should make sure we, we talk about here today or anything else final you'd want to add? Um, yeah, I would just say that, uh, you know, we're really excited about getting this data out to our data users and uh, very interested in learning about all the uh, great stories of agriculture around the country that they have to tell. Fantastic. Well, with that, we appreciate the time. Brian Combs with the USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service. Brian, thanks for joining us on AOA today. Really appreciate the time. All right. Thanks for having me. And with that, we're out of time here on AOA. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk markets with Darren Newsom from Bar Chart, weather with DTN's John Baranek, and we'll look at some news headlines and stories with Josh Baitke, policy editor at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening to AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day, everyone. We'll talk to you tomorrow. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. And we're back looking at another lopsided matchup, Jim. Today we have a combine taking on a train. Yeah, that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine. No competition there. Right, especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train. That's 18 football fields. It's no contest. Every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings. See tracks, think train. This message brought to you by Operation Lifesaver. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments and ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Give to the V Foundation. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. 100% of your donation goes directly to game-changing research. 100%. Donate at V.org. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. 